Chapter One of Shakespeare Personal Recollections. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Shakespeare Personal Recollections by John A. Joyce. Chapter One Birth, School Days, Shows. One Touch of Nature Makes the Whole World Kin. William Shakespeare was born on the twenty third of April. 1564, at the town of Stratford, on the river Avon, Warwickshire County, England, and died in the same town on the 23rd of April, 1616, exactly fifty-two years of age, the date of his birth being the date of his death, a remarkable coincidence of spiritual assimilation. For several centuries his ancestors served their king and crown in war and peace, and were noted in their day and age as country gentlemen, a term much more significant then than now, when even dressed-up dandy frauds may lay claim to this much-abused title. The grandfather of Shakespeare fought on Bosworth Field with King Henry the Seventh, and was rewarded for his military service, leaving to his son John, the father of the divine William, influence enough to secure the position of a country squire, and made him bailiff and mayor of the town of Stratford. John Shakespeare, in addition to his judicial duties, dabbled in trade as a wool-dealer and glove-maker, and when he lost influence in office he resorted to the business of a butcher to secure bread, meat, and shelter for his large family. He married the youngest daughter of Robert Arden, a very beautiful girl of Wilmcott, a small village three miles from Stratford. When Arden died, Mary, his favorite daughter, was bequeathed thirty-six dollars, and a small farm of fifty acres, near the town of Cinderfield. Good inheritance for that age. The Arden family were strict Roman Catholics, and Edward Arden, High Sheriff of Warwickshire, was executed in 1583, for plotting against Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth. Those were lively days, when the followers of the Pope and King Henry the Eighth banished, burned, and hung presumptive heretics for opinion's sake. The lechery and greed of King Hal was the primary cause of his separation from papal authority, augmenting the Reformation by licentious royalty. John Shakespeare and Mary, his good wife, did not seem to have much of an education, for in signing deeds of conveyance they only made their mark, like thousands of the yeomanry in England. Shakespeare was a very common name in Warwickshire and the surrounding counties, and while the divine William glorified the whole race, there were others of his name who fought for king and crown. John Shakespeare had ten children, with the affectionate assistance of Mary Arden, seven daughters and three boys, William being the third child and the most active and robust. Several of the flock died, thereby reducing the trials and expenses of the household, the old man seeming to be one of those ancient mulberry sellers that was forever making millions in his mind, and chasing gold-bags at the west end of rainbows. For many years he persistently applied to the College of Heralds for a coat of arms, and finally, in the year 1599, a picture of a shield with a spear and falcon rampant was awarded to the Shakespeare family, all through the growing influence of the actor and author William, who had become famous and wealthy. John Shakespeare did not enjoy the glory of his coat of arms very long, for we find that he died in September 1601, and was buried on the 8th of that month, at the old church in Stratford, and his brave old wife, the mother of William Shakespeare, followed him to the tomb on the 9th of September 1608. I first met Will Shakespeare on the 23rd of April, 1571, at the old log-and-board schoolhouse at the head of Henley Street, Stratford, on the River Avon. 
It was a bright, sunny day, and Mr. Walter Roach, the Latin master, was the autocrat of the scholastic institution, afterwards succeeded by Thomas Hunt. Will Shakespeare and myself happened to be born on the same day, and our first entrance at the Temple of Knowledge marked exactly the seventh milestone of our fleeting years. Will was a very lusty, rollicking boy, and was as full of innocent mischief as a pomegranate is of seeds. He was handsome and bright, wearing a thick suit of auburn curls, that rippled over his shoulders like a waterfall in the sunshine. His eyes were very large, a light hazel hue, that glinted into blue when his soul was stirred by passion. His forehead was broad and high, even as a boy, rounding off into that dome of thought that in latter years, when a six-foot specimen of splendid manhood caused him to conjure up such a universal group of immortal characters. His nose was long and high, but symmetrical, and his distended nostrils, when excited at play, would remind you of a Kentucky racehorse in motion. His voice was sonorous and musical, and when stirred by passion or pleasure it rose and fell like the sound of waves upon a stormy or summer sea. His lips were red and full, marked by nature, with the bow of beauty, and when his luminous countenance was flushed with celestial light, he shot arrows of love-lit glances around the schoolroom and fairly magnetized the boys, and particularly the girls, with the radiant influence of his unconscious genius. Will was a constant source of anxiety and wonder to the teacher, who often marked him as the scapegoat to carry off the surface sins of sneaking and cowardly pupils. Corporal punishment was part of school discipline, and William and myself got our share of the rule and rod. Through all the centuries, in youth and age, private and public, the scapegoat has been the real hero in all troubles and misfortunes. He seems to be a necessary mortal, but while persecution relentlessly pursues him, he almost invariably triumphs over his enemies, and when even devoted to the prison, the stake or the scaffold, as a martyr, he triumphs over the grave, and is monumented in the memory of mankind for his bravery and silent self-sacrifice. For seven years Will and myself were daily companions. Spring, with its cowslips and primroses, and hawthorn blossoms, found us rambling through the woods and fields, and angling for the finny tribe disporting in the purling waters of the crystal Avon. Summer brought its grain and fruits, with boys and girls scrambling over hedges, fences, stiles, and brooks, in search of berries and ripe apples. Autumn, with its nuts, birds, and hares, invited us to hunting-grounds, along the rolling ridges and the dense forest of Arden, even poaching on the domain of Sir Thomas Lucy and the royal reaches of Warwick Castle. And old winter, with his snowy locks and whistling airs, brought the roses to our young cheeks, skipping and sporting through his fantastic realm like the snowbirds whirling in clumps of clouds across the withered world. Looking back over the fields, forests, and waters of the past, through the variegated realms of celestial imagination, I behold, after the lapse of more than three centuries of human wrecks, the brilliant boys and glorious girls I played with in childhood years, still shining as bright and fresh as the flowers and fruits of yesterday. For we are the same as our fathers have been, we see the same sights our fathers have seen, we drink the same streams and view the same stun, and run the same course our fathers have run. I remember well the first time Will and myself attended a theatrical performance. It was on the 1st of April, 1573, when we were about nine years of age. A strolling band of comic and punch-and-judy players had made a sudden invasion of Stratford and established themselves in the big barn of the old Bear Tavern on Bridge Street. The town was alive with expectation, and the school-children were wild to behold the great play of the scolding wife, 
which was advertised throughout the streets, in the daytime, by a cartload of bedizened harlequins, belabouring each other with words and gestures, the wife with bare arms, short dress, and a bundle of rods, standing rampant over the prostrate form of a drunken husband. Fifes, drums, and timbrels kept up a frantic noise, filling the by-lanes and streets of Stratford with astonished country louts and tradesmen, until the fantastic parade ended in the wagon-yard of the tavern. The old barn had been rigged up as a rustic playhouse, the stage covering one end, elevated about three feet from the threshing-floor. Curtains with daub-pictures were strung across the stage, separated in the centre and shifted backwards and forwards, as the varying scenes of the family play were presented for the hisses or cheers of the variegated audience. The play consisted of three acts, showing the progress of courtship and marriage at the altar, country and town life with growing children, work, poverty, and finally wind-up of the husband, driven from home by the scolding wife, bruised in an alehouse, dead, and followed to the grave by the beetle, undertaker, and a brindle dog. The climax scene of the play exhibited the wife with a bundle of rods, surrounded by ragged children, driving out into a midnight storm the husband of her bosom, while peals of thunder and flashes of lightning brought goose-pimples and shivers to the frightened audience. The impression made upon the mind of William and myself did not give us a very hopeful view of married life, and while the haphazard working, drinking habits of the husband seemed to deserve all the punishment he received, the modesty, benevolence, and beauty of woman was shattered in our young souls. On our way home from the country tragedy performance we were gladdened by the thought, that although the rude, vulgar, criminal passions of mankind were portrayed and enacted day by day all over the globe, we could look up into the star-lit heavens and see those glittering lamps of night shining with reflected light on the murmuring bosom of the Avon, as it flowed in peaceful ripples to the Severn and from the Severn to the sea. Nature soothed our young hearts, and soon in the mysterious realms of sleep we forgot the sorrows and poverty of earth, tripping away with angelic companions through the golden fields of celestial dreams. There are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in our philosophy. I shall never forget the great shows and pageants that took place in Warwickshire County in July, 1575. All England was alive to the grand entrance of Queen Elizabeth to Kenilworth Castle, as the royal guest of her favourite, Robert Dudley, Earl of Leicester. Proclamation had gone forth that all work be suspended, while yeoman, trader, merchant, doctor, lawyer, minister, lord, and earls should pay a pilgrimage to Kenilworth and pay tribute to the Virgin Queen. Stratford and the surrounding villages were aflame with enthusiasm, and as John Shakespeare, the alderman and mayor, took great interest in theatricals, and particularly those festivities inaugurated for the entertainment of royalty, he led a great concourse of devoted patriots through the forests of Arden, blooming parks of Warwick Castle, on to the grand surroundings of Kenilworth, where the people, en masse, camped, sang, danced, took part in country plays, feasted and went wild for eighteen days, over the illustrious daughter of Henry the Eighth, William and myself were among the enthusiastic revelers, and for boys of twelve years of age we felt more cheer than any of the lads and lasses from Stratford, because our parents furnished us with milk-white ponies to pay tribute and typify the virtue and chastity of the Virgin Queen. We did not particularly care about virtue or virginity, so we shared the cakes and ale that were lavishly in profusion to the rural multitude. A high, grand throne, made out of evergreens and wild-flowers, was erected in the central park of Kenilworth, rimmed in by lofty elms, oaks, and sycamores. 
there through the fleeting days and nights the queen and her royal suite of a thousand purpled cavaliers and bejewelled maids of honour held court and viewed the ever-changing living panorama evolved for their entertainment the queen looked like a wilderness of lace and variegated velvet irrigated with a shower of diamonds on the ninth of july queen bess and her illuminated suite entered the castle of kenilworth and the hands of the clock in the great tower pointed to the hour of two where they remained until her departure as an invitation to a continual banquet the earl expended a thousand pounds a day for the fluid and food entertainment of his guests while woodland bowers and innumerable tents were scattered throughout the royal domain generously donated to man and maid by night and day we boys and girls seldom went to bed companies of circus performers and theatrical artists from london and other towns were brought down to the heart of old albion to swell the pleasures of the reigning queen continual plays were going on while horn fife bugle and drum lent music to the kaleidoscope revel dancing hunting hawking and archery parties through the day lent their antics to the scene and when night came with bright luna showing her mystic face forest fires rockets and illuminated balloons filled the air with celestial wonder vying with the stars in an effort to do universal honour to the virgin queen that's what they called bess william and myself took part in several of the joint circus and theatrical performances and at the conclusion of one of the plays virtue victorious queen elizabeth called up william and a purple page named francis bacon patted them on the head with her royal digits and said they would soon be great men i must acknowledge that i felt a little envious at the encomium not so much to william as to the proud peacock bacon who came in train of the queen at sunrise on the twenty seventh of july fifteen seventy five the festivities closed and the royal cavalcade with a following of ten thousand loyal subjects accompanied the ruling monarch to the borders of warwickshire with universal shouts and ovations on her triumphant march to london i would applaud thee to the very echo that should applaud again all that glitters is not gold often you have heard that told many a man his life hath sold but my outside to behold End of chapter 1